What's up, and welcome to the Crude Oil Podcast, a weekly uncensored Edmonton Oilers podcast with your hosts, Sean and Greg. All right, we're here. Uh, the fairy tale ending wasn't exactly the fairy tale ending that we wanted, but I mean, I can't be upset with what happened this season. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not upset either, honestly. If you would have told me at the halfway point of the year that we would have made the Western Conference Finals, I would have been like laughing in your face, but like, yeah, fucking right. Yeah. I mean, if I'm completely 100% honest, I didn't see the Oilers passing the Avs. The Avs are a stacked team. Um, the Oilers are kind of running a hot stick right now. And uh, I. I, I just didn't see it happening in four games, but it is what it is. I, I can't be upset with, with what happened. So let's just like start this off right now mm-hmm. with a one out of 10. What would you rate this season? Out of 10? Oh, yeah. honestly, I would say an eight, a seven, an eight. Uh, Any particular it's, reason why? Yeah, I was, I was trying to figure out. It, it's different because it also depends if you look from the start of the season or wherever. Like, if you look at where we were in January, like that's a nine and a half. Um, if you look at the start of the season to where we were, I still didn't expect the Oilers to go this deep into the playoffs. I expected to get them past first round. They did. They got past the second round. That's a step further than I thought they would go this year. Um, so that's kind of why I want to say seven, eight. Uh, let's call it a solid seven and a half. You know, it's really funny you said say that because I've had seven and a half in my brain. Because yeah. and my reason being essentially just from an overall perspective, it'd be like win the cup is a 10, make the Stanley Cup final is a nine, make the Western Conference final is an eight. And we did that. Mm-hmm. However, we also didn't win a single game. So <laughs> I feel like I need to bump that down to seven and a half because it's like it's almost to a degree like we didn't even make it to the Western Conference final. In as I know a lot of people will feel that way because we didn't win a game, but. So I think I would give that, but from a pure entertainment standpoint for this season, in terms of up and down roller coaster, like getting fans invested and getting them like just riled up all season, this season would have to be like at least a nine because there were so many different uh, news stories going on around the Oilers all year long. Oh, it was, yeah, we, we could have had a whole uh, tabloid paper this entire year, but um, I, th- we're going to spend this entire episode kind of, Rather than going through the last game, everybody's seen the last game. We'll get up to it eventually. Uh, the other thing we wanted to mention, too, is that this is going to be a long off season. We've got lots of time to talk about all the things that can happen in the next couple months. So today we want to just focus on the season that was, uh, some of the things that we saw throughout the season, highlights, lowlights, everything in between. Um, but before we, we get into that uh Want to want to shout out our our uh, social media links, our YouTube page, uh, our um, our podcast subscriptions. Feel free, subscribe, like, uh, share with all your friends. Tell everybody. Word of mouth still still works. So uh, um, please feel free to to get your uh, um, your likes, your subscriptions, your thoughts. Share it away. Just just help us out. We're trying to get this this platform bigger, and we're we're extending the the invite for your voice too. Because um, every single episode that we go into this, we we open up our DMs. We want this to be a voice uh, of of all of you Oilers fans. So um, the more it's shared and the more voices we get in here, the bigger the voice gets. So um, yeah, uh, let's dive into it, Sean. Well, yeah. So like Greg said, we're going to kind of recap the season a little bit and we're going to focus on any of the offseason stuff starting next episode or at least try to avoid it this episode. Since, like Greg said, it's a long <laughs> offseason and we need to kind of try and find a way to stretch this out. I'm sure we could sit here for an hour and just talk about Jesse Pugliarvi, but we'll save that for <laughs> maybe a, a week with a, what is it? Less news out there for us to discuss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, another caveat, too, because. I have good internet right now. Still same story as last week. Uh, please <laughs> stick with us. I will be back in a household that has a connected mic and very strong internet next week. So um, 
I hope everything goes swimmingly this this week. But just FYI, if I sound like a robot again, that's that's still what's going on. But yeah, and thoughts and prayers to Greg as he has to go and a uh, go through the Pearson Airport next week on his way back. So hopefully he <laughs> does make it back. We'll see. He may be stuck there for the rest of his life. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah, I, I just might live in Toronto now. <laughs> As long as you don't become a Leafs fan, that's the important part. Oh, fuck no, I could never. I, I grew up with too many of them. So uh, in the same house, that's enough. Uh, okay. <laughs> Jumping into the start of the season. Um, I, I, you might as well dive right into the start, Sean. Well, I think the way the season started, everybody was like obviously pleasantly surprised. Like We had one of the best starts in franchise history, if not the best. I think we fell one short or tied it. I can't remember. I think we were what ten and one or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like everybody was feeling good about the year. Our new acquisitions were looking great. Like I think Fogel wasn't scoring early on, but he was bringing a lot to the team in terms of like energy. Which, if he's in a fourth line role, that's okay. Um, and then Hyman was just a godsend in our god tier power play. I think Hyman was like <laughs> the answer on that power play because we finally had a net front presence who could put the puck in the net. Yeah, yeah. They uh, had a, it was almost a surreal start because I, I remember going into it and I was, I was looking at all the acquisitions and I was like, uh, okay, like yeah, Fogel's a pickup. I was still uh, a gigantic uh, question mark when it came to the the bear swap. Um, ultimately, I think it was the move that needed to be made for a number of different reasons, but uh, it was just acquisitions like that where uh you saw Fogel kind of take off a little bit you saw um Derek Ryan step in I know he didn't put up like massive points when he got here but it it just seemed these to be the kind of uh glue pieces that that the Oilers are missing and it was I, I was doubtful coming in that any of the moves that Holland made were significant enough to make the start that they had so i was kind of blown away to be honest with you with the start of the season but they felt unbeatable well it was really nice too because they had like they were giving some other young guys a chance too. like bouchard was really stepping into his role on the penalty kill which um i think a lot of people were concerned with the fact that he might just be a berry in the sense that he just is a power play specialist and can't do anything else but he stepped up and was able to play those minutes especially i think it was him and cc on the right side then who had to do everything um and without that like cc probably would have died early in the season being the only right-handed guy on the <laughs> penalty kill so that was great to see too and i think that was the the work that woodcroft had put in in bakersfield because he really wants to put a lot of uh emphasis on the defensive side of the game for a lot of these young players like look at ryan mcleod too yeah and, and it seems like well a lot of these people that we're mentioning now just seem to be more of a uh a piece of the puzzle like as they went into playoffs because they they had that experience and uh eventually with the kind of changing in coaching which we'll get to but just that that experience and the exposure and the opportunity uh i think it like internally creates more depth so uh yeah it was kind of a a little bit of a surreal start um as you mentioned one of the best starts in history of the club and then uh it it just kind of continued to roll on i know they had that five game um road trip in early November starting in Detroit and they lost three of their next five and I was like oh okay what's going on and it started to feel the wheels coming off just a little bit uh and you're losing to teams like Detroit Buffalo Winnipeg yeah that one kind of stung because you're coming off like a sweep against them you kind of hoped you'd get that one but uh it that was where I started to to feel the panic button kind of set in just a little bit. Uh, maybe panic button is not the right word, but um, well, when it's kind of awkward games, though with those games because yeah. they were sandwiched between like a win against St. Louis, uh, Boston uh, beating Boston in between that, and beating the Rangers before that on the on the Friday. Like it's and even with losing to Winnipeg, for example, they beat Winnipeg two days later um, when they played them in Edmonton. So it, or sorry, that was rather, that was in Winnipeg. So it's kind of like, okay, cool. We, well, we won. So it's like, now we're back even. So if you trade that home and home series, then that's fine. But it felt awkward and prototypical Oilers that they're playing down to their competition, losing to teams like Detroit and Buffalo, like you mentioned. Yeah. And I wonder too, like, 
it's the first time they've really been on the road um, for any length of time since, you know, COVID hit two years ago. Uh, I don't want the podcast to get censored if we use that word. So I'll use something else moving forward. Uh, when the pandemic hit a couple years ago, um, they haven't really had any like length of uh, um, a road trip. And so I, you kind of, I kind of wondered, I guess, is this just kind of a product of being away from home for this long? Um, I, I don't know. So, but to your point, yeah, you, you, you beat a lot of teams that you didn't, you know, they're, they're nothing to shrug off like, uh, the blues and, and the Bruins. And I don't know, uh, you, you head back home and then you beat the jets and the Blackhawks and then lost the stars. And in my mind, I'm, you win two of, or two of every three games. Like, obviously you're going to have a very successful season. Um, but everything seemed to go well for the rest of November. And then it all started to go downhill in Seattle. <laughs> the kind of month of hell. <laughs> I, I really don't know how else to put it. Well, if there's one thing I know to expect from Edmonton is a weak December generally. Like I know Drysidal generally has a complete shit show of a month in December almost every single year where he just like forgets how to play hockey. I can't remember off the top of my head if I'm just having the bias of watching him have this issue in the past, if that was the same this year. But clearly it rubbed off on the whole team at one point because, yeah, nobody was showing up for games at all in that entire month. And it was so confusing. Yeah. And they cap it off by losing to the Devils, too, at like the end of the <laughs> month. And it was like, what is happening with this team? And I think people were starting to be a little bit concerned at that point and questioning whether or not Tippett were, was going to be the man to lead us to the promised land. Well, and then you ran into all the issues with all the, the testing that was mandatory for players. And uh, I'm not making this a political statement. I don't even want to like get into that. But uh, the Oilers ran into the, the simple fact is that they weren't available, the players that they are used to. And there was a lot of shuffling. There was no ability to get lineup combinations. This started towards the end of December, I guess but really impacted them into the next month. Um, you're, you're getting guys who've never played on the line with a guy before coming up and you're getting people sitting out with COVID. I said it again, Sean, geez. Uh, like, I, I don't know. I, I hate using that as an excuse because you have 30 some odd other teams dealing with it. There's 30, there's 31 teams in this league, right? I can never there, keep up. No, 32. there's 32 now. And 32 there's 31 other teams. Jesus, it's it's ten thirty at night. Um, hey, I'll uh, allow it. Okay, thank you. I'm a hockey fan. I, I promise. Um, it's it's not a, an excuse that you can blame, um, because every other team is facing it, and uh, well, unless it's just your name the way was the Calgary, Calgary didn't oh. have to deal with that at all. Having their <laughs> three top players play every single game together all year long and none of them missing a second. Like <laughs> I don't know how lucky you can get in the regular season than they got, but well, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it just, it never felt like the Oilers could get in a groove from basically the middle of December until the mid to end of January, just because of all the players that they're losing, um, having to sit out on the, uh, the aisle. So, um, I, I don't know. It, to your point, the loss against Jersey sucked on, uh, on, uh, New Year's Eve. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, the, the loss on, on New Year's is just like, what the hell are we doing? What a way to kick off the season. I was really actually, um, looking forward to that game on uh, New Year's day. I was like new page, new turn, like we're ready to go. And just, it was just more of the same shit for the next two weeks. You know, that's how I honestly feel about New Year's in general is that it's just another day. And okay. people who say like it's like it's a new year because it's been uh, 24 hours since the last game. <laughs> I, I've never truly understood that sentiment. But like, yeah, they didn't come out strong. That's for sure. And they just struggled for the rest of the month until mm -hmm. I think ultimately there was the the I think it was the loss to Ottawa that put like the most pressure all of a sudden. I think that's when the uh fire tippet chance truly started. Yes. And well, then there was like five days of people just sitting there fuming on that. Mm -hmm. 
until yeah. the buildup and ultimate failure in Florida, right? Is that was well, that the Florida game? You and I went to that game together. Oh yeah. <laughs> now I remember that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was I, I remember, remember yeah, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I remember uh buying tickets and I was like, there's no fucking way they've lost to the Ottawa Senators after losing what was it, five, six in a row at that point. Yeah. I was like, there's no way they're gonna like lay an egg against Florida. And that's absolutely what they did. Oh, the ultimate goose egg, really. I still remember specifically because we were at the end of that losing streak. They were down three nothing with like five minutes left. So we're like, fuck it. It's like the middle of the week. We're just gonna go. So as yeah. we're, we're before we even get to the car, which was not even a, like a couple minute walk away, I'm like, oh, <laughs> Florida scored, and then I like, oh wait, no, they scored again. Then I look at my phone, I was like, wait, oh, they scored a third time. It's six nothing. It's like, what yeah. the fuck is happening, man? Yeah, we left. It was three nothing. It was six nothing at the end of the game. What the fuck? Yeah, generally speaking, oh. I don't like to be one of those people who leaves early. But like after all that we were going through at the time, is like I just couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't watch yeah, exactly. this team's incompetence keep smacking itself in the face. Like, you know, they have good players and yet we keep losing. And ultimately, I think with ultimately bringing in Woodcroft, it showed that that was the problem. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I remember. Yeah, that is one of the uh, funnier moments looking back, considering how the season ended. But uh, Saturday night, just a couple days later, like they go and beat uh, – to beat Calgary and that we've heard it kind of mentioned around from journalists, from fans, whatever, like Dave Tippett was absolutely out the door. If not for that win on, um, on that Saturday. Right. Yeah. So yeah. when was Tippett fired? Now I can't remember. Uh, it was after the Chicago loss. Okay. Uh, yeah, because I, they I had found the... an article that says February 11th. Yes. Because I believe they, uh, it was after the all-star break and then they came back after the all-star break, laid that egg the first night against Vegas. And then the very next night they lost to Chicago. Um, yeah. And the must like, win oh, game. Which, which was weird because heading into the all-star break, they had, they what won five out of six. I think and so. And everybody was like, oh yeah, like Tippett's not going to get fired now. Yeah. Five like out of that. six. And it was the one that they did lose was a, an OT loss. So it was like, Oh great. Now we're like, is it a blessing or a curse? Yeah. As somebody who wanted to gone, I was almost mad that they started all of a sudden winning. Cause I was like, great, here we go. Like he's going to be yeah. here forever at this rate. Right. And we're going to have to go through more playoff tippet, but I will, I will thank Vegas and Chicago for what they did for this franchise this year. <laughs> I've never heard it put that way, but yes, thank you. I believe it was, is this Chicago or it might've been the Islanders um, where I think it, I think it must've been Chicago. They played two separate teams and after Chicago beat that team, they fired their coach. I think they did it to uh, Vancouver too. So like oh Chicago was just the coach killer this season. It's like, you lose to us. Like you better fire your coach, man. <laughs> That's the bar. Hey, yeah, pretty much. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So the one, the one thing, and I don't know if it's worth even talking about now because he seemed to, you know, prove us all wrong anyway. But I felt there was something going on with Connor McDavid uh, in January. Uh, I think even you mentioned to me it felt like there was an e injury or something. Like even at the All Star game, like you could tell he didn't. I don't know if it's, he didn't give a fuck. Um, but he definitely didn't have the Connor McDavid esque performance. Not even, I'm not just talking about the All Star game, but it was apparent in all the stuff that he did there, uh, just leading up to it. Some, there's something missing. Well, I don't think McDavid's the type of player to like mail it in, but I wouldn't be surprised if like Tippett's message i guess or his voice just didn't echo with him anymore and that kind of was spreading throughout the team and that's why the team started like not listening to him as well because if your captain's not listening to your coach then realistically why are you listening to your coach oh, so i think yeah. like i'm not saying that that was what happened because i have no fucking clue but i wouldn't be surprised if that's the case if they were just kind of like let's fucking mail it in get this guy out of here because like we can't do this anymore as much as all the guys in the interviews after a coach get fired they're like damn we feel so bad like 
like it's it's our fault it's not his i'm sure in the back of their mind they're like fuck good riddance fuck that guy <laughs> yeah i you gotta think that the the voice was running a little bit thin uh in the room and uh yeah we we saw jay woodcroft come in 11th of february now sorry before we move me, on been, to woodcroft yeah. um i just okay. wanted to mention like you can you know that they like the depth players didn't have any mm. respect left for Tippett when you see comments like uh, Derek Ryan was making, where he was essentially oh, yeah. saying that like he did didn't like I didn't even get to play, so how am I supposed to have an impact on the game when like mm. Tippett doesn't trust anybody not nine, not named ninety seven or twenty nine out there, so mm. playing those guys thirty minutes a night and then by the time we get to the playoffs they have no energy left, so it was kind of a it was a great thing I think for the team for that to have happened. Well, and you look at the first game that Woodcroft like coached, you saw McLeod had what 15 plus minutes that night. Like, what What's this? If there's one uh, thing that Woodcroft that I've loved about him is that he trusts McLeod in everything. Yeah. 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 I, I love that uh, too. I think uh, he's going to be a uh, very much an oiler for a long time, as long as he's got the ropes to the team. Um, but uh, so I'm trying to find it online, but I know if I keep searching stuff, it's going to make me sound even more robotic. Do you remember when I always get the, the timeline mixed up? When did Evander Kane come in? Did he come in before? I thought he came in during that like Montreal, Ottawa. I believe um, he came in before. Yeah. January 27th was when they signed Kane. Okay. Yeah, I, and I remember in an interview that uh, Jay said like, oh yeah, like when we came in, Kane had just come in as well. And he had already like played a few games, but he was new to the team as well. And he was talking about it like mm -hmm. that. So I had a feeling it was before. Yeah. Okay. So he was definitely part. I remember him showing up in Montreal. I think he got two goals that night, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, just he, he was a good impact right around the same time. Um, and so they kind of took off from there and that's where we saw, the Woodcroft regime really start in February and um, kind of pushed the Oilers in from being in no man's land to being a real contender for not only <laughs> I was worried about getting a, a second wildcard spot. And then there was a point at time where, you know, do they have enough to even push for first in the West, like, or in the Pacific rather, like it, the team just started to gel together and they looked like a completely different team from the time he took over. I think this team to a degree got a little bit lucky that our division was fairly weak this year and there weren't any teams really running away with it outside of Calgary. Like I know LA had stayed decent throughout the season, right? But um, like Anaheim had a good start. They fell off. Vegas had a weak start, couldn't catch up. San Jose had a good start. They fell off and Vancouver was kind of a shit show all year. Yeah. And then don't, I'm not even going to mention Arizona. So let's not even go there. <laughs> I don't think they're in our division anymore, though. They were this year. Are they? I thought I they moved so. over. When did they move over to the central because of Seattle? Um, well, Seattle, see, I didn't even think of Seattle. So yeah. Seattle's not worth a mention either. But um, yeah, you yeah, might be right. Story. They might have moved already, but I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm trying to open stuff, but I have too many windows open at the same time. So, yes, they have already moved over, but let's just replace wherever I said Arizona with Seattle, and it's the same thing. Cut and paste. Yeah, um, yeah no, it, it, you're exactly right. I think uh, I think they got lucky in a weak division. I think that's something that they're going to have to really pay attention to next year uh, because, well, who knows what the teams are going to look like next year. Uh, I'm not even going to get into that. Um they ended up crawling back into things and, and pushing up into the second seed. Uh, like we all saw the, the stretch uh, towards the end of the year. I do want to bring up the, uh, the trade deadline though. I want to get your thoughts on, on the acquisitions and uh, what your overall thoughts of how that day panned out for yourself, Sean. I would say, sorry, I'm just bringing it up. Like, I can remember a couple of them. Can you name the players off the top of your head that we traded for? I know Broussard was one. Kulak. Kulak and anything else? Or were those the two big, those the two big players that we brought in? Those are the two big guys that we had picked up. Okay. Um, I guess you can kind of call Kane a pickup. True. But, 
So I would say yeah, out of those two, Kulak 100% uh, was, I think, so good that I want to bring him back, like, today. Yeah. If they signed him, I'd be super, super excited. And I honestly, I'll be super disappointed if they don't. Because I think mm-hmm. he brings to the bottom pair a lot of consistency that they lack. The only reason I can think of that they don't want to bring him in is if they, like, Keith is staying and uh they want broberg or something to have more time but i'm not going to get into that yet we'll get into that next week so <laughs> and then the brassard trade i think was weak i think brassard is a little over yeah. the hill and it like i understand the need for it but he didn't even even with our injuries and stuff he didn't even get into the lineup really in the playoffs i think he played one game and he was pretty much a non-factor in that game yeah, I feel like he was almost a panic move from Holland, like to make him look like he was trying to do something. Um, yeah. Well, I'm just happy we didn't trade the farm away, I guess, because ultimately, yeah, like in hindsight, it looked good because I don't think any trading a first round pick for a player probably would have been the something that pushed us over the edge with the injuries we ultimately had. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I I would say I would for the off season I would have gave it like or for the sorry the. Uh, trade deadline, I would have gave it like a, probably like a B minus or something like that, only because I really liked Kulak. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably stick around that. I'd give it a B plus if you consider Kane a sign. Um, well, Kane was a, just a like a god tier yeah. pickup, really. You pick up a, a first line winger with almost point per game potential with like 40 goal potential for a season for $2 million, not even. Yeah, so. this... This might also be because I'm looking through Rose Rose Cutter. Oh, I can't talk. Jesus. Try to make a joke and I stumble. I, I think it's because I'm looking backwards um, that it, it might look a little biased, but I think that I'd give a higher than a B minus for the moves that Holland didn't make. When you look at the goaltending that was available, the price the teams were paying. Um, I mean, I wasn't happy that they didn't do anything, but just knowing what, the going rate was or the market value for everything. Like, I think that that's a win in itself. I guess I didn't think about that. Like, like I said, I'm happy he didn't trade anything, but he could have he, but I will give him uh credit for re- remaining composed and not jumping the gun because he has said that this is a, a multi-year process and we're only in, I think year what three of Holland or four of Holland. <laughs> and he said at this point is when he wants to, wanted to start contending for a cup. I think we are essentially assuming this offseason goes well, we would be at that point. So I respect him for sticking to his guns with that. Yeah. I, yeah. Do you want to just jump into the playoffs? Cause I think that's where the contention really starts. Yeah. Well, for the like rest of the season, let's just quickly go to like, we played well, like the team was yeah. the second best team in the league. Um, I think mm-hmm. everybody was pretty confident going into the playoffs, especially against LA who people thought, had like a good start and then fell off. It just kind of coasted their way into the playoffs. So there's a lot of optimism going into it. Yeah. The only other thing that I'd add is that uh, Mike Smith decided to turn into the best goaltender on the planet. Um, True. So you can't go without, uh, can't go without that record without shouting him out. So he just started getting uh, hot a little bit too soon. Could you imagine if no that kidding, was eh? for the entire month of uh, May or even June? That would Give be us great. two more weeks. Ugh. But yeah, so I mean, we started this podcast. You and I were talking a couple weeks before playoffs started. Like we wanted to get something going. We were kind of joking around, but we got it fired up right at the start of playoffs. Uh, and that is kind of been the start of this whole fun journey. Uh, we kind of got to watch the, the up and down of the uh, Los Angeles series. Like, I thought the Kings were a lot more competitive than I gave them credit for. I would uh, say absolutely, especially considering their injuries and somebody like Dowdy. I did not give them pretty much any credit, especially their decor. I was very, very low on them and expected Edmonton to absolutely shred them offensively because of that. Mm-hmm. But like, <laughs> then you flip to Calgary and I completely would flip my statement. I didn't give the Oilers the credit that they deserve for that performance. Well, I think uh, a little bit with the Calgary series, people like obviously Edmonton was the underdog. I think there was an NHL poll from some of their analysts where one or something out of 16 
thought they were going to win, and even then it was going to be in seven games. Um, yeah, shut up, Gretzky. Yeah, and then Edmonton had their absolute goose of a first game where they just shit the bed. And then, oh, man, I'm so happy that they managed to figure that series out because the chirping after that first game was ridiculous. I almost didn't want to be on the internet because it was so annoying. Oh, I know. I know. And then just knowing the result of what happened with Colorado and hearing it from them again, it's just like, come, come on, guys. You you know how you sound, right? Like, Well, all I say is like, yes, we got swept by Colorado. But what does that make you? You lost yeah. 4-1 to the team that got swept by Colorado. So it's like Colorado is a tier in their own. Then there's Edmonton. And then way at the bottom, there's Calgary. Don't yeah. know what they're doing down there. I mean, oh, okay. So <laughs> maybe I'll save this this question for a little bit later in the podcast. Uh, I'm writing it down so I don't forget. Um, yeah, so I mean, I our, our other podcasts have, have recapped the playoffs pretty well. Uh, I watched game four. Um, the Oilers had such a great start, like you had mentioned, and it was, it was just, it sucked. Uh, that was weird because it was one of the odd times where they went into the third period with a two-goal lead. They let go of one, and then they got a two-goal lead again, and I was like, this team is not fucking letting this go. And it was one of the first times that I felt let down. Um, but not to a point of, like, I was mad or upset or uh, anything. It was just kind of like, huh, okay. Um, well, I think part of yeah. it was people hadn't given up hope, per se, on the series. But I think yeah. we had kind of accepted our fate to a degree that it was like, if we lose, we lose. If we win games, that's cool. But like that wasn't necessarily the expectation, but that was the hope. The expectation was maybe to win one game. So I'm still disappointed because if you're down 3-0, you want to at least try to make a series out of it. Um, and I say that as I'm trying to be impartial and not angry at this team because like we said, this isn't where Edmonton was supposed to be this year. So I think everything being said, it's amazing that we got here and I would have loved to have been more competitive. And to a degree, I am slightly embarrassed. But with that being said, I'm still proud that this team like did what they did. Like you got to even look at this Colorado series here and yes, games one and two or not even one, but game two, especially got away from them. The other three games were all one goal games that were just an empty netter to add the extra goal on. So Edmonton was in three out of four of these games. It's almost similar to the Winnipeg series when we got like swept. It's like we had the chance to win these games, but we just can't seem to find the way to close out these one goal games. You know, that's a great point. That's something I never really considered. It is very, very apparent to the, uh, or uh, comparable to the Winnipeg series. Like, I never thought of that. That's a good point. Well, I just think, like, Colorado is obviously a better team than Winnipeg, and Edmonton grossly outplayed, I would say, Winnipeg in that series and just kind of got goalied. Um, But in this series, it was kind of like their goaltending wasn't too great. Our goaltending wasn't too great, but theirs was just a bit better. And same with their offense. Their players were just a bit more clutch than ours and things like that. So at the end of the day, I think if you go through this series, you could flip a coin in those three games and Edmonton could have won three of them. Realistically, yeah. it was possible. They were one goal games. It's not that big. Like if Smith makes that save or if Pugliarvi could hit the net, like it could be a different series. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's I make that as a that... joke. I'm not picking on Pugliarvi. I'm sorry. I was just, it's just a joke. <laughs> It, there's just too many of those like one-off like mistakes that you kind of wonder if it happened or didn't happen or yeah, I know what you mean. Um, okay. I'm going to ask my question now because I think it's a fitting time. Uh, if you look at the arena uh, in, well, the, the old Rexall place arena, uh, all the banners hanging up, there used to be championship banners hung for the Smythe division uh, champions. Do the Oilers hang a uh, championship banner? So what championship did we win, though? Like uh, Theoretically, the Smythe would be comparable to the Pacific. So here's the thing. We may have won the Pacific playoff-wise because Calgary, uh-huh. like we were the last one remaining. But regular uh-huh. season, we didn't win the division. We didn't win the conference because we didn't beat Colorado. Like, I don't think, I think putting up a banner would be very Nashville of us. 
and very <laughs> unnecessary. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. I, well, it feels I, like we're just trying to celebrate one thing because this team finally had a little bit of success after the past few years. And we're like, yeah, we did it. And like, I don't want to hang a banner because that's just not good enough. I know they, if they're going to hang it, they might as well hang it right next to the Garth Brooks banner. Like, uh, I, I looked at, uh, some of the quotes and stuff from, I didn't get a chance to watch the, the exit interviews, but listening to Connor McDavid, like he was really proud of how the team, uh, stepped forward this year and all the, um, the, the success that they found with each other and how certain people found like, um, steps in their own game. Uh, but he said, from a team perspective, we advanced to the, uh, Western conference final, but it's all, all it is at the end of the day is it's just a step. That's it. Well, that's it's the way they need to look in the at right it. Direction. Yeah. And like with their injuries that they have, I honestly don't think this team expected to be able to beat Colorado. Cause like, yes, we didn't know about the injuries, but I'm sure the team did. And people are sitting there and be like, how the fuck are we going to beat this with our number one defenseman with a torn hip flexor and our like number, our second best player on our team and dry side of like not even being able to get up after he gets hit because his leg is so bad. Like I just and like Pugliarvi fucked up his shoulder in Game Four. Like I don't know whether he needs surgery or not because Finland says he does, but Holland says he doesn't. So I'm kind of confused by that still. But yeah, I, it still feels like there's a little bit of cat and mouse going on. Like even Drysaitel won't even talk about what the actual injury was. Drysaitel's too uh, proud for that. I think he he'll sit there and be like, "I wasn't injured. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Yeah, even though he can barely get up and he looks like me drowning <laughs> in water or something like that every time he gets hit. He's like, "Oh my god." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he uh he's a freaking machine, man. Like good on him. Um, you know, for all the yeah. shit that uh Nurse got this year as well. Like mm -hmm. a, like I think he was great in the regular season. He played fantastic. There were several times where his skating was fantastic where he would catch up to a guy on a breakaway, reach over and poke check the puck away. He did that at least like five different times this year, that exact same moment. I don't know if that says more about his positioning than anything else that he was out of position in the first place, but I digress. Um, mm. All of the shit he got in the playoffs is moot. Anybody bitching and complaining, if he's able to put up the performance he did with a torn hip flexor, that's like mind boggling how he was even able to stand up. So the fact that he was able to play 20 plus minutes a night every night for the entire playoffs is like, I, I just want to clap, but I don't want to like blow my fucking mic. So <laughs> it didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't bounce in my ears. So you're good. <laughs> I, I tried to clap very softly. It's like a, a nice little, it's like a golf clap. Golf clap. That's the best I could yeah. do. But yeah. yeah. And same goes to dry side. like, it's goddamn impressive. And I can only imagine what this team could have done if they were healthy. Like, imagine if uh, Colorado had to deal with, like, the same injuries. Like, I know Kadri got injured, but what if, uh, in, like, McKinnon's healthy, but Rantanen is on one leg and Makar has a torn hip flexor and all this shit like that. Like, yes, they had injuries too. I'm not saying they didn't, but mm. were they their best players? I don't really think so. Kadri's probably yeah. in the top five of their best players, but we had injuries to two of our top three. Yeah. I, I, I just agree. I've got nothing more to add. I, I don't think the Oilers could, even if they did advance, could you imagine them playing with the injuries that they had against the Tampa Bay lineup? Like, no, they would have probably got slaughtered by Tampa too, especially with the yeah. fact that Braden Point might be coming back. Yeah, exactly. So I think um, ultimately, given the circumstances that we've had to deal with, I would definitely give this playoff run like a nine out of 10 for what they were able to accomplish. Yeah. Like this playoff run specifically, the other grade that I gave earlier was for the season as a whole, but mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Uh, I want to try kind of a, a neat segment. You and I were chatting about it before we want to do kind of an NHL award style handout, but just related to the Edmonton Oilers. So we've got a handful, a handful of the NHL awards that are, are handed out. Um, we're going to go through, kind of do snake draft, uh, and, and determine who we, we have as our winner. Some of them will have caveats on them for certain players, like obviously the heart Memorial trophy. Uh, and some of them will, uh, um, 
look a little bit different, but this is just specific to the Oilers. So we'll we'll quickly go through. We'll name a player and kind of why we thought um, they're deserving of the award for the Oilers for this year. Uh, so I figured the first one to start off with, just working our way up out of the crease. It's kind of funny because there's only three guys to pick from, but it is such a toss up. Uh, the Vesna Trophy for the Edmonton Oilers this year. For me, I yeah. will like. I know Smith had a good return and everything. I'll give it to Koskinen though. I think okay. like Smith was injured early on, right? And Koskinen okay, was Edmonton's goalie for the first like I don't know forty games of the year. Really, they're number one. And yes, he was part of their like tailing off in December or whatever. But that start of the year was Koskinen. Yeah, you, you got to remember like when they were fighting through the, the big uh, long losing streak, like he was the guy between the pipes putting up with all that shit. So, um, yeah, I um, the other thing I was just going to add, I forgot to add before this, we have to pick different guys. So that's why we're doing snake draft. Um, so obviously I'd like to go Skinner, obviously not a big enough uh, sample size, but I'm going to go Mike Smith just because of the, the stretch run that we saw in uh, March, April uh, stood on his head. Uh, obviously can't base any of the postseason stuff on him. Um, but I, I thought he played incredible. And I think he's a big reason that the Oilers pushed as far up in the standings as they did towards the end of the year. Well, I think he's the main reason they got as far as they did in the playoffs too. I know his stats weren't the greatest, especially after the LA series, but mm -hmm. I think in most games it was hard to argue. Like he kept them in the games. He may have had a weak goal here and there, but if it wasn't for them or wasn't for him, rather, it would have been like three goal plus losses every single game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Uh, okay, Sean, do you want to pick the Calder or the Norris next? I want to go Calder, but I'm going to let you pick Calder. first this time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so with this being the rookie, we're going to extend this to any first year Edmonton Oilers. Um, uh, this, this is, could be a guy in a 10th NHL uh, year, but as long as it's first year with the Edmonton Oilers, it still counts. Um, for me, I was thinking about this. I, there, there was one standout guy that I did want to give it to, but I, I got to go with Zach Hyman. Um, I knew it. I know. I know. I'm so biased. You're such a Zach Hyman stan. Oh, I got such Yeah big man crush on on Himes um I, I think it from day one like he he's just a workhorse uh he shows up he's probably one of the most consistent hard workers uh isn't you know the flashiest player doesn't put up always the most points definitely has some off games but I think he's the most consistent when it comes to the expectation of games that you're uh, or the expectation of performance that you'll get from him in games and I think that expectation is more than above average. Um, so I think Zach Hyman for me would be the, uh, the Oilers Calder uh, trophy winner. You know, I do agree that I've loved everything Zach Hyman has brought. I think he is yeah. the model of consistency that players should look at. I'm looking at like guys like, uh, Cassian and, and Fogel and Pugliarvi and all these depth guys, they need to like look at him and be like, okay, what's he bringing to the game? How is he doing it every game? And find a way to do that as well. But with that being said, I'm going to more follow the spirit, I guess, of the Calder. And I'm going to give it to my favorite player is Ryan McLeod. Oh. Okay. Because he, I think, has truly kind of come in to his role as like a third line two-way center this year um i would rather like i think it gives us the flexibility to to play like nuge in other positions i know he probably is better in center but it gives us the ability to roll four centers which is fantastic and i wasn't sure we would have that ability to say that um because we have such heavy depth on the top of our centers that could we afford another center i'm not sure but I think he's coming to his own, especially on the penalty penalty kill. It brings like lifts has helped lift the pressure off like dry saddle for having to kill penalties. He's more on the third unit when they're like killing a long one now because McLeod's been able to step up. Um, and I think his offensive touch is going to come. I think it's just a matter of time, 
honestly. Like he still put up nine goals and 21 points in like 70 or so games. And that's with the beginning of the year being kind of rough for him. I know he spent, I think he spent a little bit of time, if I remember correctly, at the beginning of the year in the AHL, because I know he yeah. played last year with Edmonton for the last 20 games or so and had a good showing. And everybody's like, okay, McLeod's going to make the roster. But then during the preseason, he kind of looked like he was struggling. So they sent him down to the AHL because he was still waiver eligible and he got his feet under him and then he got called back up. And like I said earlier, like the work that um, Woodcroft was doing with him down there was like integral for how Edmonton has performed going forward because he was putting him in positions defensively like the penalty kill. And I specifically remember Jay talking about him being like he was an elite penalty killer in the AHL. That's what we turned him into. And he mm-hmm. wasn't killing penalties under Tippett. And then as soon as Woodcroft came up, he's like, no, you're like one of our main penalty killers now. And <laughs> I know it's kind of a, like an unsung thing, but defense is important on this team. So if you could bring that to I this agree. team, that's what I want to see. So, yeah, at the end of all this rant, I give it to McLeod. Very justified. We'll give you that. All right, moving into the Norris Trophy. Uh, Sean, it's your turn to go first. My Norris Trophy. See, this one's a little bit hard, but I know. I'm going to give it to this defenseman for similar reasons as to why you gave it to Hyman for the Calder is Cody Cece. You fucker. Oh, I knew yes. I, I had a feeling you were thinking about him. Fuck. Um, okay. The reason I'm giving it to Cece is similar to Hyman. He brings it every single game. I don't think Cece really had an off game for the entire season, even in the playoffs when like some of the defensemen were struggling, whether it was Keith and Bouchard getting exposed a couple times or Nurse getting exposed because of his injury. I never heard anything about CeCe because he was still rock solid with everything he was doing. And he kind of gave us a lot of stability on that right side that we haven't really had. Like I know Larson tried to bring that, but he was had struggled for a little while in Edmonton and he just wasn't really bringing that consistently anymore. But CeCe has done that. And I know there's a lot of hesitation with him going into the year because Toronto fans would shut up about him. But uh, I heard from a lot of Pittsburgh fans that he was turning into a fantastic defenseman and really finding his game. And I'm happy to see and confirm that that is the case that he found his game. And I'm more than comfortable going forward with him in our top four on the right side for years to come. Yeah. I, I was trying to listen to what you're saying. I was panicking, trying to figure out who the hell I pick next. I, I love Cody CC. I think he's going to be great moving forward. I hope this isn't just kind of a one-off. I th- hope he's kind of found his home. Um, for my pick, uh, I got to go with Evan Bouchard. Um, I think he's starting to have a bit of his own uh, coming out party. He's getting that ice time uh, starting to increase. Uh, you're starting to see him get extra attempts on things. I don't know what's happening with Barry coming moving forward, but I definitely think that there's there's a home for Bouchard on that first PP. Uh, I think he's got a lot of uh, upside that's starting to show a little bit. Uh, he started to get a little bit nasty in the playoffs. Um, so I, I realize everything I'm talking about right now is perspective, so I'll, I'll take a step back. I, I just I felt throughout the season as he got more and more ice time and more exposure, Um, He started to feel a little bit more comfortable in his role. Uh, He's got an explosive offensive upside. Uh, The one thing I do worry about is kind of the, the inconsistency, like a couple, uh, a couple podcasts ago, you mentioned it, like, especially being paired with Duncan Keith, it's kind of like uh, throwing them out on the ice. Like what kind of fucking shift are we getting here? Um, So uh, I'm going to give it to Bouchard. I thought he had a, a solid season and uh, the trajectory is very much upward. Well, I think one of the things that kind of falls to the wayside that people forget about Bouchard is that he had 43 points this year. And that is not really playing any time on the power play because it was mostly going to Barry, right? So Mm -hmm. I'd like to think that going forward, especially having like Bouchard on the power play, I think that you could expect those point totals to potentially hit like the 60s, honestly. And he could tickle fucking uh, 20 goals, honestly. I wouldn't be surprised Mm by that. Um, And that's that's the reason why Barry is becoming a little bit of a, I'd say, not necessarily an outcast, but just 
very scrutinized in Edmonton is that he's starting to feel unnecessary because Bouchard's coming into his own and Bouchard brings other elements to his game that Barry just can't do because he doesn't have the size to associate with that. Yeah, he's getting Wally pipped for sure. Oh, exactly. <laughs> I, <laughs> I uh, yeah, I, I, I will leave that for next week. We'll leave it for next week. I want to dive into that shit so much. We'll leave it for next week. Yeah, like, um, let's just okay. record two episodes today and we'll just jump right oh, into the next part. And then we're going to end it and something else is going to happen five minutes after we're done recording, like the Evander Kane suspension. Yeah, that was Fuck. funny. We we're like, yeah, he might be getting suspended. We'll see if it drops. And then literally right after we hit end, it came out. Ugh. Okay. Um, finally, Hart Memorial Trophy, the caveat cannot be dry sidle cannot be connor mcdavid you know i'm gonna have to sit here and think about this one for a second do you have an answer i do okay um, go ahead and it's gonna be a tough argument but it's gonna be a vanity for me uh the reason behind that is he only was here for basically half a season 43 games in that time though he put up 39 points including 22 goals uh that's basically on pace for 40, 40 plus goals in a season. Uh, that's where the Oilers are really lacking is that kind of secondary scoring behind uh, Dreisaitl and a McDavid. I think he added a lot of uh, punch to the lineup that they didn't normally have. Uh, and if you take Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl out of the lineup and then you remove a, uh, an Evander Kane, I think you have an extremely big hole in your lineup. Um, I think he was more valuable to the team than uh, his stats led on to. Uh, I know when he came over, like there's a lot of, uh, there's a big kind of spotlight on him. And I thought he handled it extremely well here. Uh, Edmonton fans kind of, well, for the most part, gave him the opportunity to prove himself. And it seemed like the team was rallying around him. I still go back to like how McDavid and him embraced sometimes in the playoffs. I know a lot of people uh, looked at some of the celebrations that he had and uh, thought that McDavid was getting pissed at him. But if there's anything that I've learned, uh, whether it be friendships or uh, you know, teammates or coworkers or whatever, I find that you can only really get pissed off at people who you truly care about. Um and I think that there's kind of that relationship starting to be built. So I think he was important on that regard as well. Uh, but ultimately, it comes down to production. Like, this is a business. Uh, 22 goals in 43 games is nothing to uh, to shrug off. So Vander Kane is my pick for uh, the heart, excluding McDavid and Dreisaitl. You know, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but mm -hmm. similar to the reason why... I think it was like McDavid missed out on the Calder in his first year is that I can't give that, tr that trophy to somebody who's only played 43 games for the team. Okay. Um, I just don't th think he or had the, the impact for the year. I just don't think it's, it's hard to give it to somebody when they're not there for half the season, especially when they weren't there for the like adversity of the team playing poorly. Um, so I guess we actually disagree on something for once. Oh, <laughs> Um, with that being said, I have a potentially controversial pick, I guess, depending on how some people view this player. <laughs> and that is, I will give it to Darnell Nurse. Okay. Because I think Darnell Nurse is the rock that holds this team together. And without him, the flaws, especially on our defensive side, really, really start to show. And I think that was more than on display in the playoffs that people were never really picking things apart outside of the defense, whether it was Nurse making a bad play because he just couldn't do it physically, um, with Keith and Bouchard having to play more minutes against better competition and struggling, um, things like that. So, And he doesn't even play top power play minutes. He still put up 35 points in 71 games. He was a plus player. That's I know plus minus is a contentious thing because some people don't give it a lot of value anymore, but I think being a defenseman, and being like a plus player is still important. It's I just don't think it's as important for a forward. Um, and he's one of the main leaders on this team. And he helps motivate other players. Like, I'm really hoping that he's kind of a good influence on 
some of those rookie defensemen going forward. And I know people, a lot of people attribute Bouchard's success this season to Keith and his mentorship, but I think Nurse also had a big play into that too, because he goes out and plays a pretty consistent game every night when he's healthy anyway. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't think it's hard to make that argument that he's the third best player on our team, if not like at least the third most important well, and you and I have talked about it before. It comes down to that V and that MVP. Um, like, valuable means a lot of different uh, facets. So, uh, well, some people uh, yeah. will sit here and argue about the fact that he got that contract. And I understand that it's a contentious <laughs> issue and that some people are like, he's getting overpaid. But at the end of the day, we're not going to get a player of Darnell Nurse's caliber to come to this team outside of trading the farm or paying a guy even more than that. And nurse took years and years and years of bridge contracts. Well, he slowly got better and better and better and outperformed every single contract. So I would like to give him the benefit of, of the doubt and think that he could at least live up to what that contract is. I don't know if he will exceed it because that would be like Kale McCarr levels of play, but I think he could well, match what he needs to bring for that. And the icing on the cake is he's not even fucking making it yet. So let's just, you know, calm down. Well, exactly. So. Like, like imagine if you're not thinking about the contract. Let's say he's an RFA this season. He's making four and a half million. And you watch what he just did this season, like especially on that injury. You're like, God damn, he is more than like even exponentially more than what his contract is. So anybody yeah. who's sitting there picking him apart is just being an armchair guy who just doesn't understand the importance of that player. If they think like, I know Kulak probably could have stepped up in and I've said it that I think he could have stepped in and like helped the team when he was injured, but I could not see Kulak doing that for 82 games and the playoffs. I think in the short term he can do it, but playing the minutes, like on average, he was playing 25 minutes a night for the season. Like not a lot of defensemen can do that. <laughs> Yeah, I I think, honestly, looking at the rest of the roster, I think any one that you pick in this could be a controversial pick. Um, but you got to justify it. I think you did a good job there. Well, I think they were both rather controversial, but I'd like to hear what everybody else thinks. So let us know yeah. if you think those were shitty picks or not. And keep in mind, yeah. like we said, we cannot pick McDavid and Dry Saddle. So don't say, I pick McDavid. <laughs> yeah you're, you're fucking living on planet like fucking xenon if you think that we're picking darnell nurse over connor mcdavid and leon dreisaitl yeah exactly um, like they're in a tier of their own we're t thinking the tier under that yeah um before we head out uh, i we skipped sean basically took away my privileges of uh uh making predictions after that fucking horrendous florida tampa prediction uh but we're back for round four. Um, do you have any predictions for the Stanley Cup? So I've been thinking about this a little bit. And uh -huh. I'm going to like put a caveat on this that it's assuming Braden Point is injured. Where okay. where he doesn't really play or if he does, he's not very effective. Because that being said, that means they're both of their essentially their second line centers in Kadri and Point kind of even out. So mm -hmm. Colorado's more injured because they have guys like Sam Gerard out. And I don't want to base it off injuries. And I'm trying to sit here and I've been like battling with myself about whether or not I hate Colorado now, because yeah. like, I want to hate them because they beat us. But at the same yep. time, at the same time, I've always had a soft spot for them because I have too many friends who are goddamn Colorado fans. So I know their players and stuff like that. And I like their young roster. I like Hale McCarr. I like Bowen Byram. Like I love the skill that they have in the roster and I'd love to see skilled teams win. And I really don't want to see Tampa Bay repeat though it would be funny to see patrick maroon win his fourth straight cup um <laughs> so with that all being said i will take colorado in six games okay and the dynasty doesn't really occur then no dynasty That's two fair. starts of the colorado avalanche oh okay okay i Where uh they win this year next year but then Edmonton starts their dynasty and we win five years in a row Oh, that would put it in Leon's last year of his contract. Perfect. And then he signs for the rest of his career. <laughs> Same with McDavid, okay. and we ride off into the sunset. Oh, I love that. I love that. I uh, I was mumble or it kind of in the the 
mumbling. Yeah, I, that's exactly what I'm doing, mumbling. Uh, I was kind of uh, trying to figure out who I want to win there. Um, and I think ultimately it comes down, as much as it sucked with the amount that, like, McKinnon was flailing around and stuff, like, I really like him as a player. And, um, like, obviously I've mentioned before to you that uh, I've got kind of a connection with uh, Makar in his, in his junior days. And, uh, uh, like, I really want to see these guys win a cup. Like, it'd be great to see Colorado win a cup. So for me personally, if there's a way that Colorado can win the cup and the fucking whiny Colorado fans can lose, I don't know if that's possible. Like, I'm going for that option. That's what I want. Now I'm um, sitting here trying to think of how my team could win, but I'm still mad. And I have, I have no fucking clue. That doesn't even make sense. It's like maybe if no nothing nothing makes sense. Maybe if Colorado plays a complete dirt series and their fans realize their team's dirty or something like that. Yeah. Or, but then they'll just be um, like, if they won, they'd be like, whatever, we won the cup, man. <laughs> Give them something to cheer about. I I don't know. Maybe if they win something, they'll quit fucking whining. Um, That's can you tell happen. that I'm a little bit jaded? <laughs> Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I think it's understandable. We lost to them, and it just sucks. But I, think... I, I have no problem that we lost to them. I have a problem with all the fucking people in the mentions and and just jump into conclusions and people. I will say it was funny that uh, you made that post about McKinnon whining, and then it was all Edmonton fans commenting, commenting, commenting. And yeah. then at the end, as soon as Colorado won, then the Colorado fans started streaming, and they're like, "Oh, we won! Now we can talk shit." And oh, is there is there more comments on the? Well, the, I don't know like, if there's more. I think I gave up on reading them, but because I oh was, I think I was at the time I was in the same boat as you. I was like, these are just making me mad. So because yeah. I had a long, long, long discussion with one of my friends on this series because I was losing my mind, and he's a Colorado fan. I was like, I want to hear from your perspective. So then we argued for like two hours. Well, the recording is still going. I have to clarify. I realize this is a small ten percent of the fan base, so. I digress. Thank you for listening to my TED talk. I do. I, <laughs> I, I, I do hope the Avalanche actually win the cup, though. Um, nice What's your prediction? See. You never gave me your prediction. Uh, I'll go seven. Actually, I think they'll push it to seven. I think Tampa's gonna find a way to win, just like they've done this entire freaking year. So they're gonna find a way to win three games, but not the cup. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Man, so yeah, we both have <laughs> we both have Colorado winning. Greg's super tired. It's like 1130 there, and he's in a different time zone. I don't know if you've even adjusted yet. But with that being said, I feel like that's probably kind of the wrap-up for the season. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add about the season as a whole? Uh, I'm happy. I'm happy. Looking back on this, I'm going to be happy. That's I would, it. <laughs> I would say happy and content would be the way that I would describe it pleasantly surprised with the way that we've come out and yeah. played the year. And yeah, at the end of the day, it's hard to argue. Like obviously there's disappointment that we lost, but I think you can tell even just being around the city, people are still flying, flying their Oilers flags. People got their flags on their truck still. And nobody <laughs> has lost faith in this team. I signed on. So because of the time when I sign on Twitter, it's like I, if I wake up at eight o'clock, it's like one in the morning. And uh, reading all the like live feeds that we're getting in on Twitter when I sign in, there's like one uh, this morning, um, obviously being a Saturday night when people are up, there's a tweet that I saw that there's a, a let's go Oilers chant in an apartment building. <laughs> it's like the Oilers have been eliminated for five days like that. That's awesome. Uh, th at the end of the day, Edmonton brings, or the Oilers, I guess, bring this city and this province, but more the northern half of the province together. And yes. that's what sports is for. Um, I will I will take this opportunity to uh, denounce that uh, Rangers fan who knocked out a Tampa fan in MSG. What a fucking loser. So eh? That's exactly what you're talking about in the Calgary series. That That's the last thing anybody should even consider doing because it's like you're not a hockey fan. You're just a terrible fucking person if you do shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you see the the post from Ben about the, the season wrap up where he said, nice try, <laughs> kind of giggled? Yeah. Hey, he, uh, they did their best. It's they not did. his it's not his fault or anybody's fault that this team just didn't have the health to make it. No, nope, definitely. 
the I was just gonna add one of the first comments as uh, underneath it came from Laddie Schmid, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I wish I or he said I always wish I retired as an Edmonton Oiler. It's like oh, <laughs> right in the guts, man. Man, I love so did we. stories. Those are my favorite. Uh, so did we. <laughs> but, anyways, I think I think that pretty much does it here for episode eight. Uh, episodes nine, episode nine, sorry, is going to be a uh, a big uh, what if uh, off season wishes, off season plans. Um, so, like, let's get some feedback. Let's hear what your guys' thoughts are. What do the Oilers need to do? Uh, what do they not need to do? Um, want to hear trade uh trade propositions tell us your best yeah trade. what should yeah. we trade tyson barry for should we trade him for austin <laughs> matthews like one for one i think it could happen why not i know toronto fans love tyson barry so why not uh no kidding all right well i'm gonna try and not read all those fucking twitter comments thanks before i go to bed but <laughs> no you should just go to bed because i think you're gonna lose right. your mind right away no shit all right episode eight thanks for listening